0: Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett bringing the Wednesday broadcast to you. So thankful that you are joining us today. We are bringing this from Hickory Ridge Community Church in Chesapeake, Virginia, and we would love to have you come worship with us every Sunday at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock. We do drive-in church at 9 o'clock. We do inside worship at 11 o'clock. And I want you to know that we have a place just ready for you. And uh, if you feel more comfortable being outside, just come on on to drive-in church. Just drive toward the back of the property. And Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard in the Hickory section of Chesapeake. We'd love to see you on Sunday morning. And if I can help you in any way... Feel free to give me a call, 757 421 7500, or you can email me at Pastor Corbett, C O R B I T T, at gmail.com. Pastor Corbett at gmail.com. Well, I don't know if you have ever rummaged through some things, and and, uh, I'm one of these guys that kind of like to rummage through old things and go through things and kind of just explore things, and whether it be an old attic, uh, sometimes I like to go through my attic and see what I'll have upstairs, and uh, whether it be an old garage, whether it be an old church, uh, I just like to rummage through things. The reason I like to rummage through things is because I like to look at the history of what I'm rummaging through represents. For example, I've been in great churches, right? And I go up and, uh, and I'll stand behind the pulpit of this church. And I said, well, I wonder what the pastor was thinking when he gave the message on Sunday. I wonder what he was doing as far as leading that congregation. And I wonder what kind of uh, events that have happened in the, in the life of that church. And uh, the same with going through the things that people, when they pass away, for example, when my dad passed away, I went through all of his stuff, right? I went through all of his old tools and I went through his library. He gave me his library. And I went through all of his old books, and I still have a lot of those old books. And I kind of would just flip through them. And uh, and as I'm rummaging through them, I would see little notes that he had written, little thoughts that he had. And my dad also was a preacher. he's more of an itinerant type preacher. And I got his old Bible, and in his old Bible, he had notes where he had written sermons. And uh, there was a sermon that I had remembered that he had preached, and it was talking about the ministry that you have. And uh, he talks about the fact that God has given every single one of us a ministry. And I want you to know this is so true. Listen, everyone listening to me today, God has given you a gift. God has given you a ministry. God has given you a purpose. And this is what your ministry is. Your ministry is reconciliation. It is bringing people into a relationship with Christ. Uh, That's why God kept you here on this planet. He kept you here so that you can tell somebody else what God has done in your life. The ministry of reconciliation. Well, as we rummage through things, we can learn a whole lot about history. We can learn a whole lot about what was happening at that particular time. And as I was rummaging through the book of Romans, for example, the book of Romans is Paul's longest letter. It is his most doctrinal letter. And I want to just look at part of the book of Romans today. And I guess we could call this rummaging through the book of Romans. And I just want to share some things that I think will help you As you look at life and trying to keep the right perspective, you know, perspective is everything. If you get the wrong perspective about your wife, your marriage is going to be in trouble. If you have the right perspective of your marriage, then you're going to have a great marriage. The same is true about your job. If you have that wrong perspective about your job, if you think that nobody appreciates you at your job, guess what? You're probably right. But if you have that right perspective and says, you know what, my job is to bring value to this company. My job is to bring profit to this company. My job is to bring good things to this company. If you carry that perspective, you discover that you are blessed. As we go through the book of Romans, for example, and just spend this one message kind of rummaging through the book of Romans, I want you to know that Romans is a doctrinal book. The book of Romans was written during Paul's third missionary journey. He is in Corinth, starting churches, going back and visiting churches that he has already started. And as you look at the book of Romans, we discover that it was written for Paul to establish and allow the Roman believers to be deep in their faith. The book of Romans is really the life of faith. The life of faith is marked by obedience and holiness. And so Paul preaches the gospel to them. The book of Romans begins, Romans 1, verse number 16, with Paul saying, He's not ashamed of the gospel, the gospel of Christ. And he tells us why he is not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God to salvation. It is available for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it is the righteousness of God. It is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just. Shall live by faith. So, Paul, in these first two introductory verses, states that his confidence is in the gospel. Realize that our confidence comes in the gospel. Our confidence does not come from within ourselves. Listen, I've discovered that whenever I put confidence in me, myself, and I, I get greatly disappointed because I can't deliver. I don't have the power of God to bring change into anybody. It is the dunamis power of the gospel that brings about the change. You see, the bulk of this epistle to the Romans is Paul explaining why and how the gospel of Christ is God's power to save those who believe. So this message today is probably going to be more doctrinal, and I almost hate to even say that because... Sometimes when you mention the word doctrine, people get the eyes glazed over and say, well, this, how is this going to help me? Give me something to get me through the day, right? Give me something that will encourage me. But I want you to know that solid doctrine gives you solid faith. Solid faith gives you the ability to go through unbelievable odds, to go through and realize that we walk by faith, to just live by faith. Now, Paul begins addressing the Roman believers And he says this in verse number 11. In my prayers and at all times, I pray that now at last by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. Paul says, man, I'd love to come see you guys. I am praying that God will open up that door of opportunity. He says, I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift in you to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Paul is talking about the fact that each and every one of us are to encourage one another to be strong in the faith. Then he's going to spend the next several verses in chapter number one going into chapter number two talking about how we are justified by faith, talking about the need of salvation. Paul says, you know, as we begin chapter number one and we get down to verse number 18, he says, God's wrath is being revealed. We see the results of sin. We see truth being suppressed by wickedness. Paul is pointing out that God is revealing himself through creation and through consciousness. You see, every one of us have a conscience. That conscience points out to us what we know is right and what we know is wrong. Now, our conscience can become seared. It can become burned. And we can actually get to the point where our conscience no longer bothers us. But in order for us to get to that point, we must reject the truth. And by constantly rejecting the truth and living a lifestyle of evil, then our conscience becomes seared. Even if our conscience becomes seared, God has revealed himself Not only through our conscience, but also through creation. That is a proof that God exists. You know, the Bible doesn't spend a whole lot of time proving his existence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He says, The best way for me to prove my existence is to look at what I've created. The best way for God to prove his existence is to look at your conscience. Have you ever had those God moments? Those moments where you say, Where in the world did this peace come from? How in the world did this circumstance work out the way that it worked out? If you are honest, you've had those God moments. There were moments that you could not generate. There were moments that you could not create. They just happened. God just supernaturally worked. God is always at work. In Romans chapter 2, it says that we have no excuse for passing judgment upon anybody else. We are to be judging ourselves. You see, if we look at ourselves and and we're honest with ourselves, we realize that we have this need for salvation. The Gentiles need salvation, Paul points out that. The Jews need salvation, and Paul is going to point that out in chapter number two. You see, the Jews were relying on the law to bring about salvation, but they couldn't keep the law. In Romans 3, 17, it says, you preach against stealing, but then you go ahead and, and you steal. You see, the problem with keeping the law in order to be saved is that none of us can keep it. Every one of us are lawbreakers. Paul also points out that there's this universal need for salvation. Everybody within the human race needs salvation. The entire human race can be summed up in the figure of Adam. You think about Adam, when God created Adam, Adam was perfect. Adam was given a choice. God knew when he gave Adam that choice that Adam would make the wrong choice. Paul summarizes up in saying that in Adam, all of us were lost. All of us follow through the same choices that Adam made, the choice to sin. You know, you think about why we sin. We sin because we have a sinful nature. We were born in sin. But we also sin because we choose to sin. We have a nature that is driving us to sin, but then we make choices to sin. And when you think about how deplorable we are, there's not much hope for us. We are driven in sin. We are conceived in sin. But God provides a way to change our lives. We are justified by faith. There is a provision that is made. Adam brought sin into the world. He's called the first human. And then Christ comes along, and he brings about salvation. We are justified by faith in Christ alone. God's righteousness is given to us through faith. This is how Paul puts it in Romans chapter 3. He said, Now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And now maybe you're listening to this broadcast today and says, you know, I need to be made right with God. My guilty conscience is driving me insane. I cannot be set free from the guilt that I'm feeling. I would encourage you to ask God to give you the faith to believe that He can forgive you. God will give you that measure of faith, that measure of faith so that you can put your confidence in Him. Paul says it doesn't matter what your background is, whether you are Jew or Gentile, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And all of us can be justified freely by His grace. And that is made possible through the redemption by Jesus Christ. Paul then uses the example of Abraham in Romans chapter 4. He says, Abraham is an example of the fact that we are saved by faith. We are set free from the wrath of God Because of what Christ has done for us, and Abraham is that example. How do we know that Abraham lived by faith? We go back to the story found in Genesis chapter 22, where Abraham offers up his son Isaac, his one and only son Isaac. And as he offers up Isaac, ready to offer him on that altar, God provides a way of escape. A ram is caught in a thicket, Isaac is spared and a ram takes the place of Isaac. This is a picture that we can be set free from the wrath of God. See, that wrath that should have been placed upon us was placed upon Christ himself. In Romans chapter 6, we learn that we are actually free from sin because of what Christ has done for us. We are no longer slaves to sin. You think about a person who doesn't know Christ. They are enslaved to a lifestyle of sin. They make the choice to sin, and now they are enslaved to that sin, and they cannot get a victory over that sin. But for those who know Christ, we have become set free from the law of sin. We've also been set free from the consequences of our sin in Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7 drives home the point that we are free Because we are no longer experiencing God's wrath, the law says that the wages of sin is death. That's what the law said, but we're no longer under the law because we have been set free by the grace of God. We've also been set free from death. One of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible is Romans chapter 8. The fact that there is no condemnation to those of us who are in Christ Jesus. I love that. Nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. Not peril, not storm, not nakedness, not poverty. Paul says, I am convinced that nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. What a joy to know that God's love is available to us and nothing can separate us from that. When we get into Romans chapter number 9, we discover there's a large scope of our salvation, that God has selected us to be followers of Christ. Romans chapter 9 talks about the fact that God chose to save us and He chose us before the foundations of the world. Paul also points out in Romans chapter 10 that Israel was chosen to trust God and not their own righteousness. In Romans chapter 11, we discover that both Jews and Gentiles can have salvation through faith in Christ. Then we get to Romans chapter 12. What a fascinating chapter that is. It talks about all of the transformation that is going to take place in our lives. We become different because of the work that Christ has done for us. Our overall conduct is changed. Have you ever tried to overcome a bad habit and fail miserably? The reason that you have failed miserably is because you put the emphasis on what you could do instead of the emphasis of what Christ could do. In Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2, it talks about we are transformed and how we transformed by the renewing of our minds. We're no longer held captive to the pattern of this world, but we are transformed in that we're thinking differently. We no longer look at the world as providing a solution to the dilemma that we find ourselves in. We now look at the fact that we have a different mind. We have the mind of Christ. In Romans chapter 13, we discover our relationship to civil authority, why God gave us government. In Romans chapter 12, it reminds us that the powers that be are ordained of God. Do you know that God has three institutions? He loves these three institutions, and these are three institutions that He created. They were not man-made institutions. These are things that God created. The first is the family. God created Adam and Eve. That was the very first family. God gives instructions on how this family should be comprised. That a man should leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife, and the two become one. You see, God's idea for marriage is that it's one man, one woman for one lifetime. The family was God's first institution that He created. The second institution that God created was human government. You see, we weren't too far into human history, and all of a sudden sin is in the picture. How in the world are we going to deal with sin, especially when it comes to matters of murder? And we discover that Adam and Eve not only created the first sinners, they gave birth to the first murderer. Cain is killed by Abel. As we look at this whole story, we discover that God is going to set up government to take that position to deal with those evils of our society. You see, there's two central purposes of government. Number one is to reward those who do good. Number two is to punish those who do evil. So God created a family and God created human government. But then God created a church. When we get into the New Testament in Acts chapter 2, we discover that God creates this thing called the church. The word is ecclesia. The church is comprised of those who know Jesus Christ. They are called out from the world into the church. Everyone should be involved in the church. Everyone who is born again should be part of a local assembly. Christ loves the church, and he gave himself for the church. And The Bible says that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. That's how powerful the church is. You see, if you're part of a church, you realize that you are protected. You are protected theologically. You are protected from the wiles of the devil. He may come against us, but he's not going to prevail. If you separate yourself from the church, you come out from that umbrella of God's protection that is designed to protect you. God created these three valuable institutions. And in Romans chapter 13, Paul talks about our relationships to civil authority and our relationships to our fellow man. When we get into chapter 14 of Romans, we discover that we have a relationship with those who are weaker brothers. Paul instructs us how we should be patient and long-suffering with those who are not as strong in the faith. As we look at Romans chapter 15, Paul has these concluding remarks and these instructions that are given to us, and we discover that this fascinating book of Romans gives us everything that we could possibly need in order to know how to live the Christian life. Well, I hope it's been a blessing to you as you have rummaged through the book of Romans with me. When I think about kind of a central theme of the book of Romans, I would say the central theme is that the justified are walking by faith and living by faith. That is how we are to be justified. You see, God has a way of working in our lives in such a way that He takes us and our shortcomings and, and He turns them into strengths. In 1982, there was a guy by the name of Nick who was born with Tetra-Amelia Syndrome, which is a very rare generic disorder. Nick has no arms or no legs, and although he has two very small feet attached to his torso, growing up, Nick struggled emotionally and physically to accept his condition. But today, as a follower of Christ, Nick has what he calls a ridiculously good life. This is what he writes, when I'm asked, how can I claim a ridiculously good life when I have no arms and no legs, people assume that I'm suffering from what I lack. They inspect my body and they wonder how I could possibly give my life to God who allowed me to be born without limbs. Others have attempted to soothe me by saying that God has all the answers and then when I'm in heaven, I will find out all of his intentions. Instead, I choose to live by what the Bible says, which is that God is the answer today, yesterday, and always. When people read about my life or witness me living it, they are prone to congratulate me for being victorious over my disabilities. I tell them that my victory came in surrender. It comes every day as I acknowledge that I can't do this on my own, so I say to God, I give it to you. Once I yelled and the Lord took my pain and turned it into something good. He gave my life meaning when no one and nothing else could provide it. And if God can take someone like me, someone without arms and legs, and use me as his hands and his feet, he can use anybody. It's not about ability. The only thing God needs from you is a willing heart a heart that is willing to be surrendered to Him. Well, how about you today? Are you living surrendered to Christ? Is your life different because you have surrendered yourself completely over to Him? When you completely surrender yourself over to Christ, you discover the wonderful plan that He has for your life. You discover how He will use you beyond your wildest imaginations. You discover that He can take you in your broken state He can put you back together again, and he can use you in ways that you never thought would be possible. When you think about living this spiritual life, in about 30 times in the New Testament, the Word of God uses the word prayer to describe how we can communicate with God. Martin Luther said, Prayer is a strong wall and a fortress of the church, it is a goodly Christian's weapon. Oh, my friend, if you are walking by faith, you are also walking in prayer. Prayer is that ability to see and to grasp where God is moving and what God is doing. Whenever I'm in trouble, I spend more time praying. Whenever I don't know what to do, I spend more time in prayer. You know, every new disciple of Christ should set their heart and their mind to learn how to pray. Great and wonderful blessings await us if we could just tap into God through prayer. You see, many believe that prayer is simply talking to God, but prayer is also being involved in listening to Him, listening to what He has to say to us. He always gives us a response in His Word. He always answers our prayers. You know, prayers will be answered. Sometimes we don't like the answers that we get when we pray, but God always answers prayer. I want you to know today that if if you will spend some time in prayer, your life will radically change. Spurgeon said this, How heart cheering it is to the believer to spend time in prayer and delight with God. As we spend this time in delight with God, we also discover that God delights in us. He loves to inhabit our praises. He loves it when we spend time with Him. As we think about what God has done for us, realize that He delights in you. So our joy should be filled. You know, the Bible is relentless in insisting that our joy is found in the goodness of God. Our joy is based upon the goodness of God. We are told that we should rejoice in all the good that the Lord has given to us in Deuteronomy 26, 11. Joy is the heart of how God created us. I want us to be filled with joy as we are walking in faith. So if I can help you today, please feel free to give me a call, 757 757- May the joy of the Lord permeate you today as you trust Him and as you walk in faith. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening to the broadcast today. I'm praying for you. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3220 South Battlefield Boulevard, Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, you go to our website at www.hrcc7.org. No matter what you're going through, remember, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.